Well, I've been having a fun time the last couple of weeks just preaching on Easter. And one of the things I wanted to share this morning is, um, well, we're going to go to John chapter 12. And verses 12 through 15 says this. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now we're going to talk today, it's Palm Sunday, and the hardest part for me on Palm Sunday is we call this next coming week Passion Week. And so from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday is called Passion Week. But when you read your Bible, there is so much to talk about in this week that it's impossible almost for a preacher to pick what he wants to talk about, because there's just so much that goes on. You could literally preach for three years on what happens in that one week. And so it's just really hard to pick. I mean, the whole week is loaded. I mean, we could talk about worship today and how important worship is. You know, when Jesus came in, they were mad because, because people were crying out and, and, and children were crying out saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were saying, stop it. And Jesus says, listen, if they don't worship, the rocks would cry out. The rocks would cry out. So we could spend the day talking about worship and just how important it is that, that God's presence demands, not in even like a command way, even though it is a command, just his presence just demands worship. Like just when you just, he's so awesome that it just immediately demands worship. And if we don't do it, even creation and rocks and trees would know better and cry out the name of the Lord. We could talk about worship. We could talk about Jesus' cleansing of the temple. It was pretty wild. I mean, he went in there and, you know, we see a side of Jesus that you don't always see in, in the gospels. He comes in, he's got a whip, man. I, I know what a bull whip is. I got a couple around here. I don't know if it was a full-on bull whip or not, but he had a whip and he overthrew tables and, 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 and ran them out of the church. And uh, we could talk about that and just seeing a different side of Jesus and why he was so passionate about cleansing the temple. We could talk about what does it mean to be a disciple? It was during this week that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Like he got off the table and washed the feet. We're talking about the son of God, the one who was there and everything was created through him and by him and for him. And nothing was made. Nothing was made that was made without him. And yet he was sitting at the table at the seat of honor. And all of a sudden he stepped out of that seat of honor and got down and knelt before his disciples and washed their feet. Everything was created to kneel to him. And Jesus knelt to his disciples, showing that the disciples were never going to be able to earn their way into the kingdom of God. That it was just acknowledging that Jesus came below them and lifted them up to the Father is the only reason we're there today is because of Jesus' obedience that he knelt before us and went to the cross and lifted us up to the kingdom of God. We could talk about the new commandment, as he spoke about it this week, to love one another as I have loved you. And we will talk about it a little bit today. But the Bible says, by this, all will know that we are his disciples, is by our love walk. It was in this particular week that he says, I am the branch, you are the vine. That you can do nothing without me. But all things are possible to those who are engrafted into his wonderful spirit of life. 
So we could talk about that, how we can do nothing. But man, now that we're locked into Christ, all things are possible. It was during this week that he displayed his omniscience, his all-knowingness, and that he stood outside of time. There was a particular situation in, in Luke chapter 19, and we'll, we'll just look at this one today. It's not our main point, but let's look at this. When he had said this, so they're, they're, they're hanging out together, and they're, he's sending the disciples into Jerusalem. So when he said this, he went on ahead going up into Jerusalem, and it came to pass that when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you. Whereas you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one had ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way. This is, these next words just grabbed a hold of me one day reading my Bible and found it just as he had said. I parked there one day and those words just jumped off the page that the disciples found it just as he had said. He was like standing outside of time. He was sending the disciples in. He says, as you go in, you're going to see a man that's going to be there with a donkey and you're going to go up to him and you're going to take it. And, and as you take it, if anybody says to you, why are you taking it? You see the master has need of it and he's just going to loose it and let him go. And so the disciples go in and they found it just as he had said. And I thought one day, oh my goodness, we read his word. His whole word is filled with stuff of what he said. And if we just followed what he said and what he says about life, about his ways, about his principles, and then what he speaks to his heart about us individually, if we follow it, guess what's going to happen? We're going to find it just as he had said. That is so cool to me. That wasn't the only place that it happened. In Luke chapter 22, um, we won't put it up there, but he sent his disciples in then after that to go in and prepare the Passover. And he says, as you go into town, you're going to see a man with a pitcher of water. And he's going to take you to the place and you're going to set up for the Passover. And so the disciples went in and as they went in, they saw this man with a pitcher of water. And they took him into the upper room and where they prepared the last supper. And the Bible says it once again, and they had found it. Just as he had said. If Jesus says it, if the word of God says it, there is no variance. We will find it just as he had said. That's why we have so much hope in our future and the glory and where we're going to be and how we're going to live our eternity. Why? Because we're going to find it just as he has said. <laughs> so cool. And he's a God that stands outside of time and knows everything. So we could have spent a bunch of time talking about that. We could have talked about Peter's denial. That happened in the last week. Boy, I've teached a lot of sermons on Peter's denial. And it's special to me because I had actually taken a, a course in, in, in Eastern Pentecostal um, Bible College, the principles of pe preaching. And you had to send in a sermon. It was my first sermon was Peter's denial. And so it's always been kind of special to me and, and how Peter followed God at, his, at a distance. And that's how we first started to get separated from God. And, and God just wants us in communion with him all the time. And the wonderful thing about his denial is even though Peter messed up, guess who was the first one to go after Peter afterwards? It was Christ. To just restore him back to that spot. And I don't know about you, but I've messed up at least once in my life. And it's very comforting to know that Jesus still loves me and has a plan and a purpose for my life. <laughs> and so during the last week, we could have talked about Jesus bringing clarity to so many things. He brought clarity to the disciples' upcoming position. 
We talk about that a lot, so I'm not going to spend a lot on that today, but on how he was told his disciples that he would take care of sin and that they no longer had to ask him to talk to the Father, but he was about to do something wonderful, that they could just talk to the Father in his name, that they would get to the Father. They taught in the la- he taught in the last week that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. And that's what separates us as Christians, is that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. And that's the answer that we have for everybody. Everybody that's searching to get into heaven, to get to know who God is. We have that answer, and there's no other way to get there. But we have the way. The wonderful name of Jesus. He's the way, he's the truth, and he is the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. No one. Jesus shared with them what would happen at the cross of Calvary that he would be lifted up and he would draw all men unto himself. Jesus draws men. You see, we don't have to convince people of the gospel. We just need to share his word. Why? Because his word is what the power is. The Holy Ghost confirms the word of God in people. And so when we share the love of Christ and we share the gospel with people, we don't have to keep trying to convince them. We need to just put our faith in the fact that Jesus' word is what draws people to him. God is always drawing people. Everywhere we go, our sphere of influence in our lives, our friends, the waitresses we see at restaurants, all these different things, God draws people, draws them. We shared a story a week or two ago that Stacy during chapel, there was one of the girls that hangs around and does stalls and different things in the barn. And she like asked if it was okay to sit in on chapel at camp. And so they came in and they sat and one left in tears, folks. And I thought, oh my goodness, she actually asked to come in and hear Jesus because she'd just been around the place, heard what we were about, heard that camp was on, you know, and not just here. Obviously, God was drawing her in other places. And she had said later that she always just wanted to know what it was about. And it's like, God's drawing people to himself. Don't be scared, and especially don't be ashamed of the gospel. God is always drawing people unto himself. If he be lifted up, and he was, he would draw all men unto himself. We could talk this about this week, this Passion Week, about so many things. We could talk about the Holy Spirit, which we did a little bit during worship that Jesus said that he would send another comforter that was just like him. So not only would they, they, they would be able to walk with Jesus like they did, but it was gonna even be better that everybody, uh, this might sound a little uh, out of theology, but it's, you'll get what I'm talking about. Now everybody has their personal Jesus. They walked with him day and night, but now everybody has their personal Jesus. There's not more than one Jesus. You know what I'm talking about. He moved in and we all have access to him night and day now. So I know a lot of people if I've talked to, they said, man, if I was one of those apostles, I can understand having so much faith because I'd be around him every day, all the time. And and I would, man, if he was right in front of me, the things that I could do, Jesus says, I'm going to go and I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost. And it's going to be like, I'm not going to be like, I'm going to be with you, all of you. My father's moving in. You're going to speak to me. You're going to be led by the Holy Ghost. So that's pretty cool that we have the Holy Spirit. Man, there's so much happened this week. We could talk about Judas and his betrayal. We could talk about the prayers of Jesus. Man, Jesus prayed for himself during this week. Then Jesus prayed for his disciples during this week. And did you know that before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus prayed for all of us, all believers? Sometimes I just go back to that prayer and I just 
listen to him pray for me again. Man, so cool, so cool. We could talk about the garden. Wow, the garden. Where he went to pray and his disciples couldn't even stay awake. We could talk about the betrayal of Judas in the garden. We could talk about the arrest. Man, we could spend five days just on the arrest. Did you know that when they arrested Jesus, Peter took out the sword, cut off his ear of the high priest's servant, and Jesus grabbed his ear and put it back on? Now, we just think, wow, cool miracle. But did you know that Peter would have been likely sentenced to death because he took the ear of the high priest's servant? So not only was Jesus healing the guy, he was keeping Peter out of big trouble. So cool. Did you know that when they came to arrest him and Jesus spoke and said, I am, I am, that everybody fell down. All the soldiers, woo, as Jesus declared his deity. Did you know in that moment that one of the gospels tells us that there was this dude that ran through naked after he did that? We're thinking, why would the Bible talk about some dude running through the garden naked at that point afterwards? Well, I read a Greek scholar on this and the Bible tells us what that guy was wearing. He was just had this, this cloth, but he was naked and he just had this cloth with him. And the Greek scholar said that that cloth, the only thing that that cloth can be because of the word it uses is a burial cloth. And so the Greek scholar said that the only thing that could have happened at that point, when Jesus said, I am, and the Roman soldiers all hit the ground, somebody popped out of the grave and ran because they were next to a graveyard. And if you think that's so crazy, later on, when Jesus said it is finished and the, the Holy of Holies curtain was rent in two, there was people popping out of the grave all over the place walking through Jerusalem. And that was just a foreshadow when that dude ran through naked in the garden. Jesus said, I am, and boom, guy popped out of the grave. Cool. The Bible's so cool. So much we could talk about this week. We could talk about the crucifixion and how brutal a crucifixion is. It's like the worst way to die. That's why they came up with it. It is like the worst way to die. And Jesus took it all with his mouth closed, like a sheep going to slaughter, the Bible says. Just took it all. But not only that, he took a greater punishment than the crucifixion next to him because he had to deal with all of the sin of the world. He who knew no sin became sin, the Bible says. So that what? we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This week is so cool. We could preach forever about this week, but seeing as I don't have forever, I just want to park on one little highlight. As Jesus was coming in, they were laying palm branches down at his feet and they were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And did you know that same crowd a few days later was screaming, crucify him, crucify him. The same crowd who was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Crazy. Now let me tell you a little bit. Jesus' triumphant entry, that's what the title is in your Bible, Jesus' triumphant entry. Did you know that his triumphant entry was completely anticlimactic? Did you know that he went in there and everybody was saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? But did you know that in Mark 11, the Bible tells us that he went in, he went to the temple, looked around, and it was already late, so he just went back to Bethany. Big, huge, triumphant entry coming in, and it just kind of, ah, it's late, I'm going home. It's because people didn't understand. They were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because history will tell us that they thought that he was coming in to take over. They thought that he was coming in to militarily take over. 
And so they were saying, blessed is he, he's finally coming in. We're seeing the prophecy. He's about to be king. But all of a sudden, he just says, ah, it's late, I'm going home. And the next time they see him, he's in chains. He's in arrest. He's in arrest. And so it's a very interesting piece of scripture. And I often will look at that scripture when I think about mob mentality. We had to look at this a lot during our little COVID crisis because everywhere in the Bible, you know, people will say, well, the majority says this in, in media and all that kind of stuff. But everywhere in the Bible, the majority was rarely right. Hardly ever. And all the movements we see in history that had big breakthroughs in our lives and in our country, they were rarely right. Because the mob has this power to just collect like a snowball. And people just go along with it. And that's the thing why we need to realize that the Holy Ghost will lead and guide us into all truth. And we went through so many things the last couple of years, and we've seen it now unfold. But there's just, there was just so, we were just being pushed and pulled. And, and, and that's why it's so important that we know Christ. Not that we have to know everything that's going on. We don't. We just have to know that we know the one who does, right? We don't have to be right. We just need to know who the one who's right. And there's safety in that. So anyways, he went in and they went from, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him. And so they thought what he was doing was much greater. But when his actions didn't meet their expectations, they changed. Now, this is where I want to park. When Jesus' actions did not meet their expectations, they changed. And so I think about it in my own life. Does my attitude change towards life when I feel God has let me down? Does my attitude change towards people, towards life, towards prayer, towards talking to God? Does my attitude change if I feel God has let me down? And I can tell you to the answer to that, it does. Now I have to watch it and I have to keep track of it because it's just human nature. It does. When we feel like God has let us down, our attitude changes. We get grumpy. We get mad. We even start to get mad at God. God, what are we waiting for? Right? And I don't want to be part of that mob, but I often end up being part of that mob. And so I have to always check myself. I always have to check my attitude because I, it changes. It wants to change when I feel like God has let me down. But God never lets us down. I mean, what is faith? Is faith knowing? Is faith knowing God's every move? No, it's not. It's not. Faith is knowing that God's, new, God's move will always be the best. Faith is not knowing God's every move. It's knowing that his move is always the best. And so when I think about that, I think what attracts other people to us? We're going to this next season I'm talking about, and I really want to just share our faith with other people. Now, we've gone through a long season. I feel like, okay, you know what? This is time where we now need to start to reflect Christ on other people in a greater way. And so what attracts other people to God? What through us attracts other people to God? Is it our perfect lives? Do our perfect lives attract other people to God? If you're perfectly holy one week and they see you walking and not messing up once, does that attract them to God? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Does money attract them to God? It might attract them to you for a little while to figure it out if you got some money, but it doesn't attract them to God. Does a perfect marriage attract people to God? Do our perfect kids attract people to God? It may help in certain circumstances, but people still come to God. So what is it? Is it our perfect health? that attracts people to God? Is it the miracles that God does in our midst that attracts people to God? No, that's not what the Bible says. 
A matter of fact, there's a scripture where a rich man dies and Lazarus dies. Lazarus is a poor man. And, and, and not Lazarus who rose from the dead, another man. And a rich man died. And they're having this conversation in the depths of the earth. One is in paradise and one is in Sheol. And so the rich man says to the Lord, could you please just let Lazarus over there? He's cool and everything's going on. Could, I just, could you just get him to dip a, just his finger in water and put it on my mouth for I'm boiling to death. And he explains that he can't do that. And then, and then the rich man says, could you just send someone to my family? If you send someone from the dead to my family, they will believe in you. And you know what the Lord's answer is to this? He says, if they didn't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe that either. See, we think certain things will bring people to God, but God draws them to him. God does through his word, through his spirit. And so we think that if we do all these amazing things, people will come to God. No, we speak his word. And the Bible says, if they're not going to believe the word, they won't believe anything because there's nothing more important than God's word. And so all that stuff doesn't bring them. His word does. But how does his word manifest? And I'm going to tell you some things that attract people to God through us. And number one, of course, is love. How we love one another. The way we scrap with one another is the worst turnoff for people, for other people. Seeing God. They say, I got enough problems in my life. Why do I want to join that crew? Right? And we're bad at it. I mean, we are. I mean, we saw even through these last couple of years, the fights that were going on in different positions in the church. And holy smokes, we are a wild crew. That's why it's so good that all of our shortcomings don't keep people from Christ. But he tells us one thing that will attract them. And that is love. And I've said it many times before, and I've messed it up many times. But when we talk to people and we get even into arguments with people because we want to be right, the moment that supersedes love, you're wrong. You're wrong. So you could be right in that category. You could be right on how you think the thing should be handled. You could be right in the situation. The moment it supersedes love or, or goes contrary to love, you're wrong. No matter how right you are, the moment you counter love, you're wrong. You're wrong. Man, I got to get after myself a lot. You know another thing the Bible tells us that attracts people to God? Generosity. Generosity does. Attracts people to God. It's more blessed to give than receive. Generosity attracts people to God. The Bible tells us that the goodness of God will lead a man to repentance. So when he sees that we're his hands and we're being good and we're being generous, the Bible says it can lead a man to repentance. The Bible tells us that we are the salt and the light of the world. And it's a very interesting piece of scripture because it says that if we don't bring that, it says the world will trample us underfoot. It'll trample us underfoot. You know what it means? It means we, they don't need us. If we can't bring salt and light to a situation, they don't need us. They'll just trample us. If we're not bringing salt and light, what do they need? They already got darkness. They already got all the other stuff, right? Salt and light. So generosity brings people to God. And it goes so contrary to the world. That's why. I remember there was this guy that I was hanging around and he was a runner. And he actually had me jogging with him for a while. And I'm not a long distance runner. Even back then, I, I was always much faster in the short stuff. And I got them fast twitch muscles and, and stuff. But man, he'd get me doing like four and a half K a day. And I would just be like, my knees would just be pounded. I don't, I don't have a graceful long distance run. 
And, uh, but he would run like 15K and not even like break a sweat almost. And, and so we'd go down to like uh, Campbell Valley or whatever and we'd start off together and then he'd go on the big route and I'd take the small loop and we'd, we'd meet back together. But I noticed his running shoes were getting beat up one day and, and I just kind of just, you know, just sneakily, sneakerly, um, get that one? <laughs> um, asked him size and stuff on that. And I went and bought him a really nice new pair of running shoes. And so he was really happy about it and, and took, didn't want to take it at the beginning. And so he ended up taking it. And I had some people run into his wife years later and my name came up and the wife was like, oh, that generous guy that bought the shoes. And I'm thinking, I did many things with that guy, but that's the one thing they remember. Generosity is so powerful for people because they're not used to it. They're not used to it. I remember, this is even funnier. I was going to a barber for a while. <laughs> that's why it's funny, right? But when I, when I had some hair, and so, when I, when I, actually, before I shaved it, because if I don't shave my head, I got a perfectly beautiful head of hair. Just kidding. Um, but I was going to this barber, and he was a Muslim guy, so I kept going back there. So he had come home from a trip one time, and he was all mad because he'd gotten speeding tickets, and he had, wasn't making enough at the barbershop or whatever one day. And so after he cut my hair, when I was done, I asked him how much his tickets were. And so I paid off his tickets as a tip. And he was just, he could not believe it. He, he, and so the next time I came back in, he was like, we had some good conversations, actually. He was like, because I, I would talk about Lord and how I know him and how I'm secure going to my place. And, and I know that I have a future with him. He would get so mad. How do you know? I said, I do. I just know because I, it's not based on works. And, and uh, I said, don't you know? He says, no, I don't know. I'm trying. And then, you know, that's why they do crazy things to try to get there. And so anyways, he was floored because it's not normal. It's not normal. And you can't just do it in every situation because people are thinking, you know, that you're trying to be a big shot. No, you gotta, you gotta be led by the spirit and you gotta do it right places at the right time. I'm not saying that. But man, when you feel it, when you feel the Holy Ghost give you a nudge, generosity, it just sticks with people. It really, 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 really does. So love, generosity, joy. We talked about that a lot during COVID and I'm gonna close up here pretty quick here. But John 15, 11 says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You notice he didn't say trials are coming and this won't work. No, he says, these things I've spoken to you. I've spoken to you about who I am. I've spoken to you that the Holy Ghost is going to come. I've spoken to you that God is going to remain in you. I've spoken to you that your future is bright. Why? That my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. We have a joy that doesn't come from this world. That's what separates us. Joy and peace. John 14 and 27 says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do you hear that? We don't find peace. It's given to us. It is not of this world. It's not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He says, listen, you're going to have some tough times in the, in the, in the in trials ahead, but I'm going to give you this peace that you can't get from the world. I'm just going to hand it to you. And you're going to have this peace through trial and tribulation that the world can't give. Now, you want to talk about being attracted, people being attracted to you towards God, when you have a peace, when everybody else is so frantic? I was talking to a good buddy of mine lately, and he's been having a ball because during COVID, he's been loving it because 
He says he's been winning more people to Christ than he ever has. He says, you wouldn't believe how many people are scared of death, he says. <laughs> and he would just say, yeah, you know what? There's a good chance you could die. Do you know where you're going if you do? And he, you know, he didn't try to show him the big miracle first and I'll try to get you in here. You're not going to get sick if you're around me, right? Or that kind of stuff. He's like, yeah, you could. Do you know where you're going to go if you die? Do you know how to get there? You know how to get to heaven? You know, and he says, they just list off. Well, be good, 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 good. This, that, that's that. He was telling me the other day about someone else he had led to Christ. And there he said, I got some news for you. He says, all that stuff, it don't work. You ain't getting in. And they were like kind of mad. He says, but I got better news for you. How about if I could make it easier on you? Easier to get in. God's drawing people. God's always drawing people. So I'm going to close there for time's sake. But I've been praying for God's spirit in this place to take us to new levels every week. And I've been praying in the next season that we go into that we're going to be extremely attractive to people for God. That we're going to be great ambassadors, that we're going to be great spokesmen for God. And a couple of things we have to remember, walk in love, walk in peace, walk in joy. Don't get involved in all their talk and all their politics and all that kind of stuff. Be the guy who just smiles. The woman who just smiles and is in peace and has joy amongst all this crap that this crap is not affecting us like it does the world. Why? Because we have a peace. We have a knowing. I mean, at the end of the day, ultimately everybody's scared of death. That's the main fear of everybody. I'm not. I'm not. I truly am not. And that's a wonderful way to be able to walk around. I don't want to die today. I'd like think that twice through, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I want to die today, you know? But I'm sure people are living in a world right now where wars and different things are going on that, you know, as a Christian, it'd be nice to know, you know what, I'd rather check out of here than stay around here anyways. Who cares if I get hit? I might as well preach the gospel while I'm in the middle of this turmoil. He's real, folks. He's real. He's real. And that's what people want to see. Is he real? Yeah, not because you got all this stuff and you got everything perfect. People see he's real when we walk in peace and joy and love in the midst of crap. That's where the reality of God comes out towards people. Father, your presence is wonderful. I love you. I praise you. I worship you. God, take us into this next season and help us see what you're doing around us. God, we're going to commit to speaking your word and your gospel and talking about the peace and the joy and the love of God with people, and we know you're drawing them to us, to you through us. We thank you for that. We thank you for being a part of your kingdom. We thank you that we get to be involved in this, be a part of this. I pray for all of us and all of our spheres and everyone around us that they'd be drawn into your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, amen.